For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. And let's start off with a word from our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA is in full swing and college basketball heats up as the schools make their way to the NCAA tournament. The tournament is coming and so is the $100,000 Bracket Madness Challenge as BetOnline is the spot for all of your bracketology needs. Personally, I would put my money on Gonzaga or Baylor against the field, one of those two teams that I don't think you can go wrong with. But BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, everybody, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. A little later in the show, we'll have an interview with the Washington Post's Ava Wallace. Uh, Ava does a, a great job uh, covering the team. She's the beat reporter for the Post, so... You know, she's pretty up to date and, and in tune with everything going on with the team. And she gives great insight into what it's like to cover a team during a pandemic when you can't get all the typical stuff you look for, the grabbing somebody at practice and asking them some questions and one on one stuff. So the perspective is really interesting for anybody that kind of wonders what it's like to, to cover a team right now. And then obviously she gives the, the other stuff about, you know, what to expect the deadline, who's been a pleasant surprise, all that good stuff. Heads up to everybody. I did have a little uh, issue with my mic at certain points during that. So there might be a little background noise, but shouldn't be anything too bad. But just to lead the show off here, Larry, this is our officially our one-year podiversary. Uh, we've been doing the show for, for one full year now. This is our 53rd episode. Uh, what do you think? You sick of me yet? No, I mean, I think it's been, it's been good. You know, it's been good for me to, you know, really to lock in to something with this, you know, pandemic or whatnot, just really, you know, putting things on the schedule and sticking to it. And, you know, you've been great. I mean, just kind of the, the tag team of, somebody to know what they're doing and somebody to kind of play the game and play the space. So it's, it's really been fun. Uh, it was something different for me. So I'm having a blast with it and doing it for a full year. I mean, shout out to us, man. It's just tough to do something for, you know, a, a full calendar year. So that's what's up. Yeah, we not only stuck with it, we have been growing the following steadily here, doing it during a pandemic while the team is not very good. Those are not the most ideal conditions to to try to go uh, grow a team-centric podcast. So it's been very cool. I, I got to tell you, the highlight, obviously, is doing this every week with you. I feel like I learn a ton. But uh, the one episode with Gilbert was ridiculous for me as a fan because you guys are, you know, I've told you before, this is the backcourt that got me interested in this team to the level I am. So that was a particular highlight. Any, any stand out for you above the rest? Buck is one that stands out, you know, just really because you get a chance to connect with uh you know just the, the the old guys and just to see and talking about different stories uh that we had during those days but also uh we mentioned this i think on the, the last pile was, was with um we had walt williams on and playing basketball and being of the same kind of stature and size that was like one of the guys that you know i kind of looked to and say hey man he's you know he's built like me kind of looks like me a little bit maybe i can do what he's doing and uh, so that was, that was special in itself because, I don't, you know, these guys, don't, they never know, mm-hmm. you know, who their fans are. Like me, I never know sometimes who my fans are. So it's good to connect with somebody and then, you know, let them know that, you know, you were, you know, you were a fan of theirs, you know, definitely growing up. Yeah, it's going to be a cool compliment to just bump into a guy and hear like, hey, by the way, you know, you influenced the way I play. I, I got to think that that's like one of the better things you can hear from somebody. Yeah, it's that, re- it's that reflection time. Like, damn, what did I, I pick that up from somewhere. I like doing this because I've seen somebody doing it. 
And it's like a gang of people that you can pull from, you know, of information, things that they did. So it's definitely cool. Helps that Walt's a good dude. So we appreciated having him on too. For everybody who stuck with us, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you're new to the show, that's awesome. We'd love to have you. Always rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell a friend, send us questions, suggestions for guests, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll line some even cooler stuff up for you here in, in year two. Uh, Larry, with that, since we last recorded, uh, the Wizards got smacked by the 76ers, 127-101, and then kind of lost the nail-biter to the Bucks, 125-119. In typical years, that would have been the game where, like, kind of expect them to, like, punt on the night. Maybe Westbrook doesn't play or, or you know, they rest up for the following night. But uh, Rui was ridiculous. What, what did you see in that game that really kept them in that, I guess? Well, I think it's some of the carryover from the first half of the season running into All-Star break. And we did talk about just coming out of All-Star break. You're not practicing like you would normally practice, but also just coming that, that first game off of break is really like a – Okay, now you know we have to show up and get back and get geared to to go to to ramp up and attack the second half of the season. So I think for me it's like a carryover. It's you know just kind of throwing that first game out of the way, but then just trying to build on the things that they were doing towards the end of the you know of the first half of the season. So it's consistent, being consistent with what you're doing, having a game plan, and I think just like you know we've had a lot of talk like on the outside of. You know, the team's like understanding their roles and really, um, you know, just you know, figuring out how the pieces fit together. It feels like and it sounds like that those guys have had some conversations on how they kind of fit together as well. And it's one thing to talk about it and have a meeting about it. And then you get a chance to like practice and have games. So you get a chance to do those things. It's like something feels like everyone is kind of figuring out what they're mm-hmm. supposed to do or like trying to do what they think that they're supposed to do. And they're doing it, you know, kind of aggressively. And obviously they, they have their lapses, right? They, they still have their lapses on defense. But, you know, from an individual standpoint, I think that they've kind of heard, you know, what people are saying or what others are saying and it's really trying to execute on what their roles are. So that, that's what I see. Yeah, I think overall they're trending in the right direction. Over that many games in the season, you're going to have a couple nights where you just like kind of don't have it. So I don't. I don't worry too much about the Philly game. Honestly, if you're going to kind of come up short, I'd rather it be against a team you would have a hard time beating anyway. And, and maybe you you gut out a win against the Knicks or the Kings or, or whoever's coming up instead. I did see an interesting stat or hear an interesting stat on the broadcast the other night. The Wizards are third in the league in terms of record against teams above 500 and bottom three in the league against teams below 500. Honestly, that's just kind of hard to reconcile. I mean... We've seen some of that with Westbrook specifically, where like he looks like a different player against the Brooklyns and teams where he's motivated. But is that all that is? Is it just a different level of motivation? Uh, how do you reconcile being good against good teams and bad against bad teams? Uh, well, it's it's a two way street. It's a, it's a two way street. The other team recognizes you're not a good team, so you know they may tend to to play down to your level, mm-hmm. while you know you think that you're you know it's just a two way street, right? I mean it. If you get a good team that's that has a good record, they've been playing well, and then they see the Wizards on the schedule, you know, what's their thought process? Sure. You know, if they're really a solid team and a contender, then they're going to come out. And if they lose the game, they lose the game. They're not going to give the game up. But I've seen over the years, I mean, and just being in the locker room, that you're going to identify teams that you feel like it's probably going to be easy, and those are the guys that sneak up on you. And it happens, you know, throughout the season. How do you try to preempt that? Is that coaching trying to get you fired up? Is it, you know, your team leaders? Like, or is it just sort of it happens and it's not really, a whole, you know, just sort of happens when it happens? I think it's a little bit of just human nature and just being being competitive about, you know, thinking that a lot of times you don't think anybody can match up with you, but a lot of times you got certain stats and, and you know, you got records to kind of solidify those thoughts, right? I mean, is a, if I'm on the Lakers and we're coming in, I mean, we're – we're thinking, and I got LeBron and AD. I mean, we're thinking that we're better than than the Wizards per se, but there's some things that back it up, right? Some of the stats that back it up and the records will back it up. But that's not going to guarantee that you're going to go out and win the basketball game. So I always look at that as like a, a two-way street, and I don't think that you could say that we can coach against it or really prepare mm-hmm. against it. I think it's, you know, it's kind of that human nature of trying to slide and get over, you know, sometimes. Yeah, and those below 500 teams, I think it's a little misleading this year, too, because 
there are a lot of teams right around 500, you know, that there's such a clumping there, but, but also for those teams, they probably look at the wizards as like a must win. Like we can't afford to drop a team uh, and drop a game to a team that's in 12th or 13th or something like that. Right. Yeah. Everybody's trying to win the game for different reasons. Yeah. Makes sense. By the time folks hear this, they will be probably uh, have already played against Milwaukee. They will have Bradley Beal this time, which is good to hear. You know, you can't go too many games without Brad. And it sounds like Davis Bertans is out and Neto is a game time decision with a rib injury. I talked about this a little bit during the, the Ava conversation, Larry. Does it seem like there are more players on the Wizards that end up on the ground multiple times a game than most games? Like I watch a lot of NBA in between Brad, Garrison, Neto, like somebody seems to be getting like bumped into the third row at least once a game. Well, it, it looks like that when you're struggling. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like that when you're that's struggling. It's not, it's, not, it's not quite the bad news bears, but sometimes it kind of gets to that, you know, to, to that level just because you're playing so hard, you have to take certain chances on offense and on defense as well. Uh, you have to sacrifice and give your body up. Not, not saying you have to do that more than a championship team, but sometimes that those things mean a little bit more. You, mm-hmm. Again, you're just going to take more chances with your body. Uh, but I wouldn't say that, you know, they're doing it any more than any of the other bad teams in the league. Yeah, that's fair. I guess the next question for this team is, is this the team moving forward? There's been some recent reporting about uh, Troy Brown Jr. specifically and the team trying to feature him to to make him available at the trade deadline. You just exercised an option on him and, and not Mo Wagner, which we've talked about. But I don't know, maybe they thought that would make him easier to trade or they've just made it. It's abundantly clear to them at this point that he's not in their long term plan. Do you think they end up getting rid of Troy? Is that just maybe to motivate him? Like where do you, how do you see that playing out? Well, I, I think that, you know, for, for a team that's that's in a position like the Wizards, I think that if you have an opportunity to bring in more energy and that's that's some sort of player that's going to give you a, a little bit of a boost, obviously you're uh, chasing, you know, the bottom half of the, of the playoff slots. And, you know, obviously there's an attractive spot of the playing game to get in uh, to have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So it's it's different within the years as far as you know with the trades and the trade the trade deadline is if you stand pad or if you um, you know you like your team you had enough you've seen enough and you like your team team you just think you need you know some young pieces in the off season the pandemic has not necessarily allowed teams to think that way it's kind of sped things up and slowed yeah. things down kind of at the same time because teams don't know what they have but. When you're in a position like the Wizards, when you have a, a marquee player like Brad, you always have to show that you're willing and able to give him a little bit of, you know, shot in the arm. Is it somebody that's going to come in and just change the trajectory of, of what they're doing right now? I don't think so, because I think that everybody's in that boat of not necessarily knowing what they have. So mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's going to just go crazy at this point. Sure. But I do think that it's important that the Wizards try to do something that's going to give them a shot in the arm. And it has to be a quality player. It has to be someone that's going to give them minutes. And how you do that is what the, the question is. That's a tough one because you do have uh, these young guys that are not necessarily proven. And the idea of making a trade is to, you know, I, I think it would be to get a player that's going to help you on the other end. So it's a two-way, two-way trade. So, the, so whoever the Wizards are trading with, they're going to look for a player that's going to help them out. Um, so I don't see, you know, any necessarily any big name players leaving from the Wizards, but I think that there should be something, you know, done to bring in, you know, that shot in the arm uh, for, for these guys for the second half. Yeah, we've talked a lot about like a, uh, the sort of veteran wing idea. So I just kind of went through the guys I, I thought might be out there and available. And, and the couple names I came up with were like Jeremy Lamb from Indiana, sort of fallen out of the rotation. He's shooting above 40%. He's a long, you know, six, seven, but seven foot wingspan guy. Uh, Tony Snell, surprisingly, might be the hottest three point shooter in the NBA right now over the last like couple weeks uh, for Atlanta, but they sort of more strongly feature their young wings and make, you know, maybe makes them expendable or, or Torian Prince from the Cavaliers. Any of those names make sense to you? You know what I think? I think Tony is is a name um, that makes sense. I guess you'd have to to dig a little bit deeper, but I think Tony, from the offensive standpoint of stretching the floor and, and shooting it, obviously those guys shoot the ball pretty good. Um, you know, Lamb shooting the ball pretty good as well. But I think Snell is a guy that stretches the floor, 
Uh, he's played in some some situations where he knows that it, what it's going to take to win basketball games. And again, it's one of those middle of the road sort of pieces that the expectation is not going to be that you're going to give up, you know, someone that you need to keep pushing forward with the Wizards. But obviously with him being out of the rotation or could be out of the rotation with Atlanta, he could be the name and that would be the name that I would go with. He's reasonably affordable, I think. You know, he makes like $11 million a year, I would say. Provides defense. And this team's three-point shooting is just like really tough to watch sometimes. Uh, it's been a little better the second half of the season, I would say. But, you know, when Bertans and Matthews aren't making shots and the way Beal has sort of trended down this year, I just think they have to get somebody in there that if they're wide open, they can make something. And I don't really care who it is, to be honest with you. Just Just something would be huge. Yep, and they and they have to use them. I mean, I think you have to you have to use these guys. Everyone on the team, you have to use them to their strength, and especially if you bring a guy in uh, with an expectation expectation of of needing help in in that area of shooting the ball or being a wing uh, attack player. Just making sure that you have you know something within your game plan to utilize the guys, and not think what coaches tend to do is sometimes is just to stick with what they're doing as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, utilizing that skill that you're bringing in, whether it's a major skill or a minor skill. But the whole reason is to to take advantage of the talent that you bring in. Scott Brooks talks a lot about coaching from feel and, you know, switching things up just to give, you know, the team different a different shot in the arm and things like that. And I still just don't really get it maybe I don't pay attention to other teams as much Larry does this tell me if this in your experience is a common thing where just routinely guys go from total like starting games to not playing at all and flip-flopping you know Mo is the starter for a stretch well Len is a starter for a stretch and Mo doesn't play and you know uh, Lopez is the backup then you flip-flop the Wagner starts and Len doesn't play and now you flip-flop back again I, I just that seems strange to me is that Common? Uh, when you, yes, yes, it is common within, you know. Bad teams? Yeah, yeah. And within bad team because you, 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 the good teams are consistent. They're consistent with what they're doing. And they're obviously they are, you know, you got injuries, you got load managers, you got all these other things that fall into place, but they're consistent with what they're doing. They're consistent with, with who they're rolling out to do the job, to do the work every night. And the players are dictating how that flow is. If a player's injured, slowed, whatever the case is, then obviously you make an adjustment. You pull that that player, that, a different player in. But I think it's a, a, a product of, of not being a good team where you're searching for the right combinations on the court. And you have to do those in game, you know, in live games now because there's very limited practice. And, you know, those situations still matter when you think about trying to figure out which guys play well together in certain situations or whether it's um, – you know, down 10 with three minutes to go. I mean, there's a certain group of guys that's going to play better than being up to with 50 seconds to go. So there's just a matter of just not, you know, really knowing what you got and figuring out uh, in games. But when you go through the, the amount of lineups and just inconsistency within the Wizards, I mean, I just think that they're just searching and that's the, you know, the product of a, of a you know, of a bad, you know, a bad team right now. And not a, not a team that can't turn things around, but just a team that's, you know, hovering at the, the bottom uh, of the playoff race in the Eastern Conference. If you're going to change that drastically, uh, the center position from night to night, it seems like that's maybe another position where you would look to upgrade. Again, I went and tried to take a look at what names might be available. In terms of like veteran guys, it's like maybe an Ed Davis in Minnesota, um, sort of not as much of a veteran, but he's not you know, a new player, but like Dwight Powell in Dallas, uh, Thon Maker for the Cavaliers. Uh, like they just, there's not a lot of impact guys that they could realistically go out and get. And I'm not sure any of those names at this point are better than the guys they have. I mean, do you see them looking to make a move there or is that a position you'd stand pat at? No, uh, well, with the names, uh, the, with the bodies that are available, I mean, that may be your only choice. But no, I don't think that that's a position that you stand pat at. I think that that's a an active big, even you know, is is a quality, you know, is a quality position to have. And I think we saw that with the Lakers last year, uh, just the 
you know, the size that they were able to present, but also just the, how versatile those guys were, you know, being on the perimeter, but also being you know, inside the paint. So those names aren't attractive to me, but I think that it's those guys' job to go out and find, you know, somebody that's not being used or, you know, just the situations that are out there, a diamond in the rough. I know that, and then you have to use those guys. I mean, mm-hmm. you got a like kid like Boucher in, in, in Toronto. Yeah. I mean, he's not a quote unquote big guy, but he presents a, a ton of problems just with his size and his ability to rebound and block shots, but also stretch the floor. Um, so a guy like that, you know, that's more of an attractive name than, than what's actually out there. So pros and cons with, with <laughs> pros and cons with that position. <laughs> I want to say uh, Boucher is 28 years old too. Like I was shocked when I heard that the other night and maybe I misheard it. I'll have to fact check uh, at some point here during the episode, but that's a dude that just sort of like, they found and Christian Wood was the same way, you know, a couple of years ago, he bounced around a ton. Like there've got to be guys out there that if you gave them the opportunity, they could make more of an impact than what they've shown so far. So I think this is a big test for Tommy Shepard is, you know, like you said, can you go out and find a guy? Um, they they got to do something. I think. Yeah. My thing is, man, you got to do something that can be, I mean, the league is built around scoring points, but you have to put pieces together that that fit. That mm-hmm. really play off one another. That are, it's really a team, and you know the good organizations. I mean, they're doing that. They're putting the puzzles together, and it's not necessarily based on offense. It's not based on defense players. It's it's just a combination of players that play well together in a strategy that makes the most sense to win a ball game each and every night. I mean, you got the influx of the three point shots. So obviously, you have to have a roster with those guys on it. Obviously, you know, your rebounding is huge because you're, you know, you're switching and your length is huge. So it's really just finding the, if it's not the, the name brand guys, which it never has to be just the name brand guys, it's just really finding, you know, those pieces that play well together. And that's what I'm most interested to see is how well the group works to find the pieces that go together the best and not, necess- not necessarily, you know, this sort of name or that sort of name. Um, that's what that's what I'm interested in, in in seeing. You know, you just had the G League bubble finish. Like there are probably a few guys running around there that you could pick up right now that that could actually contribute to this team. I would hope that that's something they're looking into before. You know, you, you got to get the head start. There's probably only five or six real guys that you would want to grab and play major minutes. So hopefully, you're beating those other general managers uh, to the phone. You do, man, and it's it's a great strategy to that. I mean, it, it's. I mean, those guys are really, really working hard. And that, you know, that G League situation is, is a situation like the minor league. So they're, they're giving it all that they have. And you think about, you know, those players that are giving second and third and fourth efforts, like those are the guys that should be blinking. I mean, those are the guys you should take a look at because the, the NBA game is just about your second and your third effort. And, you know, night in and night out, I mean, on bad teams, just guys aren't making a second and third effort. And that's where – you know, that, that's where the, the, the problem is. Yeah, even if they're just pushing the other guys a little bit harder, and uh, that, that would go a long way. Specifically, they had Yoli Childs, who we talked about, play in the bubble uh, for the Erie Bayhawks this year. I didn't watch a ton of Erie games, I'll be quite honest. I have them queued up on my DVR to, to look through some of them. But w- one of the games in particular I watched against the G League Elite team um, – you know, Cassius Winston gave him some good minutes. Like, I think he averaged 13 and five uh, over the course of the bubble. Like, especially if Ish Smith's out, maybe just to give Neto a, a couple minute breather here and there, or if Westbrook does need to sit out. I just think you got to have some of those guys be able to come in and offset a few minutes for your pros, especially as, you know, what we talked about the, the schedule they have coming up is kind of a murderer's row here. No, I mean, you do, man. That's you, you do. And I would expect that that's, that's on the board, you know, that's on the whiteboard, you know, you have your calendar up and you talk about the stretches and the different things that are going on within the league and your 10 days, you know, start to, you know, become a, you know, you know, come into play. And, and now you can sign those guys uh, that are in the G league to your playoff rosters and, you know, but it's about finding those guys, right? I mean, it's about finding those guys and identifying who can help your situation and your strategy at this point. And I think the Wizards now are building on, you know, a strategy of everybody, you know, playing on the same page, you know, knowing exactly where 
uh, guys want to play basketball at. So they have to bring guys in that, that help that strategy uh, to kind of, you know, to keep pushing that along. Larry, how important is your routine at the free throw line, like as an NBA player? I mean, maybe not just how important was it for you, but like, are some guys like pretty fanatical about it? I asked because they kept asking Russell Westbrook why he's been so much worse at the free throw line. And, you know, the guy shot in the eighties for a decent portion of his career. And now he's, you know, closer to 50. And there's been some talk about the NBA shortening up the amount of time they can spend at the line working on, you know, going through their routine. That just seems to me like something you would be able to adjust with you know 35 games in that it shouldn't still be an issue where it's costing you like 30 percent uh you know something like crazy like that yeah no I, he's just going through a stretch i don't think that that plays a, a, a huge role in in you know making or missing free throws because you know you have your practice time i mean we're we're pros so if you tell me it's seven seconds right i mean i'll go into my gym and i'll put you know, seven seconds on the clock or whatnot, and I'll go through my routine and I'll get it down to, you know, seven seconds. I mean, that's, I mean, you're a professional. So I think that if you're missing free throws, I mean, you're, it's, free throws are mental. I mean, I had a routine when I stepped up to the line. I mean, and it changed, um, you know, a few times over the years. So it wasn't just one routine. Uh, but once I got comfortable doing something in, in that rhythm of whether it was, you know, one bounce or whether it was three bounces, um, then I would just roll with that. And then I may tweak something or change something or, you know, do something in the summer where my routine was just a little bit different. But the routine is just all for that rhythm. It just gives you your time to, you know, set yourself, calm yourself and shoot the free throw. And I would think a lot of guys when they get to the free throw line is the what if, you know, and that's just it, that's the mental game of of what if I get out of my routine or what if I do this uh, and I don't do it the same way. So I think that it's more mental uh, than than anything. And your routine, obviously, is to help your your mental space. We've talked a lot about Rui Hatchmore this year, and rightfully so. He's last year's you know lottery pick. Uh, there was a stretch where he looked really good. He was averaging you know between like 15-ish points a game, playing great defense, and then sort of went through a slump right around the the All Star break, and then obviously broke out against the Bucks the other night. I want to say he had 29 points and his career high is 30. I was like super impressed by his footwork, and I wanted to ask him about that a little bit. He was like jab stepping Giannis, you know, a bunch of times and getting him off balance, and then knocking down like a 17 footer with a hand in his face, and it's like okay, I know Brad's not here, but like somebody clearly had a talk with him about being more aggressive and not, you know, not overthinking things. Uh, what did you see from Rui specifically um, in that Bucks game? Man, Rui has to grow. He has to grow. He has to, he's, you know, he's learning on the fly. Um, there's not necessarily the veteran player in his position that's going to give him that guidance or going to take him and pull him to a side. I know Brad can do a lot of that because Brad has gotten so good at the one-on-one game and that's where the NBA is gone. And a guy of his size, if he just gets a half a step on a guy, they're going to either let him go or he's going to finish or find or make a play. But from Rui, I think he's young. I mean, he's just fresh into the league. He's seeing, you know, different defenders, Hasn't had, you know, the amount of, you know, on, you know, in-game, you know, work or not in-game work, practice work. You're just missing practice. Uh, you're not having practice. Uh, you didn't have the prep work of preseason. So I don't know if he knows what's really working for him right now. Is he's looked like he's just trying to figure things out. He's getting in that 15-foot space where he could – or 17-foot space where he could either, you know, take that little short jump shot or get a one or two dribble – uh, to the basket. And like I said, he has to realize that with the sh- with shoulders like that, you know, once you get a guy to lean and you get a half step, then you pretty much get whatever you want. And, you know, like they say on the jump, it's a make or miss league. You just, you just now, you just taking your chances at uh, the shot that you're working on. But what I see from Rui, man, to, to really be short is that he's, he's young and he's learning. Like every game is going to be a little bit different for him. Uh, we're going to expect a lot of things from him just because, you know, the position of the Wizards. But he has the ability to to play on both ends of the court um, and be a reliable 
offensive and defensive player. Is that 25 points a night? That's probably not 25 points a night, but you know, that's somewhere in the, you know, the, the high 17s to 20, mm-hmm. you know, and he can get there. If they could get 15 a game from him, like most nights for the rest of the, you know, the rest of the season, I think that's huge for them. Cause I think they've really missed that consistent third score and, they thought Bertans would be that guy. And he's like, after being consistent most of last year, he's been so feast or famine. So getting that from Rui would be huge. Well, it has to, it has to be a player that can create for someone else as well. Okay. Because either, other than, because then you're, you're not relying on, you know, if you miss a couple of shots, you're, you, you have a different rhythm. Mm-hmm. So if you just look through the landscape of, you know, the top three players and how they relied on the score, like, it's a you have to have some playmaking in those top three guys to obviously help the rest of the team out, but also to to be crazy effective. At least to be able to create for yourself, right? I mean, if you're Bertans and you're reliant on someone else to get you the ball, and that's not happening on a certain night, then you know you can shut your own guy out, I guess. There are some nights when you see a guy like if a Garrison Matthews has like a six threes in a game kind of deal, you're like, all right, you know, he was just hot tonight. Watching Rui in that game, though, I really did feel like, okay, maybe this dude's figured something out here a little bit because just the way he was going about it, like, I got to imagine, like, going against Giannis is one of the more intimidating power forward matchups you can have in the NBA right now, if not the most. And there just wasn't a fear factor there, which is awesome. I mean, I think, you know, if you're struggling to go at, I'm trying to think of like a, a lower end power forward in the league, but if you can do that against Giannis, I think that says something in particular. Yeah, and that also may have been, you know, may have been the scouting report. I mean, Giannis is obviously a, a, a really good defender, mm-hmm. but on the ball, he's not as good of a defender, great of a defender as he is, you know, on help side and obviously getting down in transition and, you know, blocking shots and rebounding the basketball. So that might have been a little bit, in, you know, in, in the scouting report as to that one-on-one game against Giannis because he's not as great of a defender. Uh, on ball as he is, you know, coming off the ball to help out. You know, also, you want to make him work on the defensive end so that he's not as uh, fresh on the offensive end, I guess. Uh, all right, Larry, I think that was kind of the majority of the recap stuff I had for you here. Just throwing it back to hey, one full year of the show. Any, I'm putting you on the spot here. I didn't ask this in advance. If you could have one guy on the show here over the next year uh, as a guest, who would be the one guy you would most like to have a conversation with? Uh, it'll be MJ. Oh, there you go. It'll be it'll be MJ. It'll be MJ. Just um, obviously our time we had with the Wizards and his time, uh, and, and that whole, uh, you know, just transition from you know player, your know, general president to GM to, to player, uh, and then going to get his own franchise and to do it on the believing Wizards would be cool. I think we've got an uphill battle for that one. I, I can't remember the last time I heard a major public interview that MJ's done other than his own documentary, but uh, we can see what we can do. I think Stackhouse would be a cool one. I don't know. I'd like to hear some of some of your guys' stories uh, from his perspective too. That'd be pretty neat. Yeah, that that, that is my guy. Stay, yeah, yeah, Stack Stack is my guy, man. So if we reach out to Stack, that's uh that's some low hanging fruit right there, man. That that's my guy. I think he would uh. He would help us out with that one. I like it. All right, cool. We'll put that on the do list here. Uh, folks, let us know who your sort of ideal dream guest would be on the show, and, and we'll see what we can pull off. All right, now we're going to take a quick little break to hear from one of our sponsors. But uh, once we come back, we'll hear from Ava Wallace of the Washington Post. She's the beat reporter for the Wizards. Unfortunately, Larry wasn't able to sit in on that conversation, but Ava more than carries the segment and gives a lot of great insight into what it's like to cover a team during a global pandemic. So make sure to stick around and and check out that full convo. And now a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you've been looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with a verified return process. 
And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. And now back to the show. All right, we're joined by Ava Wallace of the Washington Post. Ava is the Washington Post's beat reporter for the Wizards and, and doing a wonderful job. Ava, this is your first full season covering the Wizards, right? I mean, this has got to be the, the weirdest first year for somebody to cover a team of all time. I don't know. Does the bubble run count as my first like full season? No, it doesn't at all. It, no, it, it basically was run. a full season, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's been a very weird time to join the Wizards beat. I got to um, back up Candace Buckner, my predecessor, a co- for a couple of years there. Um, did a couple playoff runs with her, but yeah, this is my first full full time uh, being on the Wizards, so it's been very weird. <laughs> Not only a weird situation in the world, but in the league, but also just yeah. this is a weird team. I just want to get your overall thoughts or, or sense on on what we see every night. Yeah, it's well, it's it's different every night, right? Like it feels like that Milwaukee Bucks game that we um, just watched was both very encouraging and at the same time. Super frustrating, I imagine, if you're a, if you're a proper fan and not kind of more of a well for reporters, it was us trying to figure out okay, which what's happening here? Why don't they always play like this? Why do they only you know sometimes play like this? Um, but for a fan, I, and and probably for some of the players, it's got to be a weird experience knowing that you're able to do things like that, and knowing that you're able to do things like go to LA and beat the Clippers and have that really nice West Coast run, um, and then come back and struggle with with some really fundamental stuff like putting your head down on transition defense that's those are the types of things that Scott Brooks says this team needs to fix so it's it's kind of a, an identity crisis night in and night out sometimes but they've got some really good key pieces so it's just putting it all together halfway through the season now who's the third best player on this team in your opinion wow that's a fantastic question actually um I think the if you asked the Wizards they would probably say Rui there the organization just like believes in in Rui Hachimura in such a big way um consistency's sake you might say someone like Neto like who honestly just does the exact his exact job and kind of no more and no less every night um and, and Scott Brooks seems to really love him but that's a that's a good question in terms of stealing in talent and versatility I think you go with Rui just because of what, you know, this is something the Wizards go back to so much. Like he can guard one through five on the defense end. He can, as he showed on, when was that game? Saturday. Mm-hmm. He can come up really big when he's active on defense and he's really aggressive and looking at their shots. And, you know, things like scoring more in the fourth quarter, like you said, that's definitely stuff that's going to come more. But yeah, when he wants to be, Rui can, Rui can make a huge difference on this team. We saw him kind of take a more prominent role with Brad Beal out on Saturday night. And one of the yeah. things that drives Larry nuts on the show is sort of the <laughs> the my turn, his turn between uh, Beal and Westbrook offensively. And it mm-hmm. kind of became Westbrook, Hachimura, my turn, his turn for a lot of that yeah. game. Is that something that you sense from them that they're trying to work through? Or is that intentional? Or, you know, I think that's a hard one for fans, too, to kind of reconcile what the plan is there. And so just to be clear, Larry means that just like the scoring and directing the offense and things like that. Yeah, correct. Yeah. I think that is partly intentional. So Scott Brooks has, has kind of always said from the beginning, he did want to stagger his stars. He didn't want to leave guys out there without at least one of them, if he can help it. Um, so part of that's intentional. I think part of that is there is a little bit of overlap in their games. And, and then part of it is, is natural. These guys are still learning to play with each other. Um, it's clear Russ, when he has an active big who, you know, he can figure out timing with, I think he figured that out a lot with Lopez. I think he's figured out a little bit with Mo too, um, kind of likes to go to that more, but, and, and Brad is so used to kind of directing things and, and being the absolute traffic cop and the thing that everything runs through. It makes sense to me that they're kind of switching on and off like that. I think when their chemistry is really good together, like we saw on that West coast trip, that's another really big key. It's not just that Russ is being, the rust that we know when he's being active and rebounding and setting people up as a playmaker and everything like that is he's working really well with Brad. So I I do wonder if we're seeing here, and I did wonder a little bit this week with Memphis and, um, and uh, Philly on Friday, if this was kind of like a little bit what we saw at the beginning of the season, I'm like, okay, coming on the all-star break, they need just like a couple games under their belt. 
I don't know that this team, I don't want to say deserved, but I, I don't know if that excuse make, makes sense with this team that we've seen be so up and down throughout the year. But I do think when their chemistry comes together, um, obviously with all teams, that's when they're the best. But you see that a lot with Russ. When Russ is working well with people and he's got his timing down and guys are doing what he wants them to do because you look at something like Russ's turnovers and I, you know, when you're watching there and I, I get to go to home games, um, I'm not, I'm not on the road this season, but I am at home. You see him kind of like screaming at Rui, like, okay, that's going to be Russ's turnover. But I'm like, man, he, he was, he, if, if you guys were just a little bit, had another season playing together under your belt, you would have known exactly how Russ wanted to set up that pass. And so I think chemistry is huge, but you also understand the frustration, right? Like you've got these two really, really good players. They got to get, they got to get their act and kind of play together. The reason I understand that who's the third best uh, player question is just, you know, they need more than just those two guys over the course of the, the season, yeah. 38 games, 68 days. Hopefully, they need a Thomas Bryant. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. And that's a guy that they seem to both already have developed that kind of trust and, and confidence exactly. level in and, Maybe Rui gets a little bit more of that as the season goes along. The Milwaukee game shows that. Um, uh, so the Wizards, again, play tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks once again. I think mm-hmm. they'll have Beal back. I haven't heard that definitively, though. Any insight? Yeah, he he wasn't on the injury report yesterday. So that was just, I think, what, Bertans with the calf tightness mm-hmm. and then was Neta back on there? Hold on, I got to check. I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. but <laughs> The only one I remembered for sure was Bertans. Oh, and Neto is questionable with a left rib contusion. Interesting. A bruised rib. That's not fun ever. Uh, yeah, all, all these guys, Brad especially, they seem to take a lot of a lot of tough hits this year. So not surprised. So the the this I think this Friday and Saturday are back to back non game days, and then that's the last two back to back non game days this season for the rest of the way. Every other every other game is every other day for the rest of the season. I realized that this weekend was like. Oh no! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's felt content uh, condensed just watching these guys. How, how's that been for for you all to have to cover this team that intensely? You know, that concentrated amount of games in, in such a short time. Well, it's been honestly, it's been really weird and kind of it's been kind of sad for reporters because I'm sure you know this as somebody who watches all the games. It's not like you're then going online to see what I've written about the game you just watched. Like you watched it with your own eyes. So the, the stories that I think most reporters, I mean, 99% of reporters like to write the most and the ones that offer us the opportunity to either get creative or point something out about the team that people may have missed or just delve into something are the off day stories. Mm-hmm. And when you're writing game stories every other day, it's just for a daily newspaper, it's just not really that logistically fathomable to kind of do off day stories unless I want to grind myself into dust, which I do not. Um, some people might, but I also would like to stay healthy and sane and stuff here, especially during the pandemic. But yeah, and, and luckily my editors have been, you know, giving me space to do that. But those really nice, fun, good analytic off day stories for me are definitely what I'm missing. Um, and features as well. I think across the NBA, we're seeing you know, there are obviously people who are doing excellent work at daily newspapers and magazines and The Athletic, whatever. But I think there's just fewer really deeply reported, really insightful feature stories, uh, really insightful kind of looks at teams or, or just there's there's less of that because one, you can't talk to guys in person. So everything mm-hmm. on a Zoom, one is then automatically available to everybody else to use. So it's not like you're getting a ton of exclusive one-on-ones I have found in my personal experience are definitely harder to come by. And you just don't see the little things like something you might pick up on walking down the hall and noticing something one day where you're like, huh, I've never seen that before. Like, should I think about that and write a story on that? All the kind of extracurricular stuff that you see outside of, these are the questions this person's answering about the game. I just watched them play, went out the window. Um, And that to me is really, really a bummer. And I hope we kind of get that back for the finals. And I hope we get that back for sure next season because I miss writing about those those fun stories that are just like, here's the score of this game. And we have no time to get quotes because, you know, then we wait 30 minutes for someone to get on the Zoom and stuff like that. Yeah, I saw this on Brad uh, around the All-Star break and and, and it was cool because, you know, you you, you look at the other ones, like you said, and it's recap, 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 you know. Yeah, uh, the bummer. (laughs) Uh, for you, you know, I mean, you you were around these guys a little bit in previous seasons too, but but first full time, 
mm-hmm. you know, season on the beat. How much tougher does that make your life when you can't grab them at practice, when you can't, you know, pull somebody aside in the locker room for a few minutes? Oh yeah. It just like exponentially tougher because it's, it's really hard to get to know guys exclusively. Like I said, when you're asking them questions after a game, um, it's just not a good way to, I think every reporter would say this. It's not a good way to build a, a relationship when you don't see these guys and just get to say like, Hey, don't have anything to add, you know, just saying hi, or just, you know, shooting the shit with you for a second. Like that's how you learn about people so, so, so much more than just interviewing them for a story. It's, you know, that's a transactional relationship. Mm-hmm. The relationship you build, especially as a beat writer is like when you show up every day, show the players, I'm keeping the same schedule as you, you know, I'm here to, we both don't want to be here right now at practice at whatever in the morning or something. But um, that's definitely how you, one, pick up on the on the little things that you don't just get when someone's staring across from you to Zoom. And, and two, that's just how you get to know human beings as human beings and not just as, as basketball players, especially something I found in the bubble. And I'll be interested to hear what, what you guys thought about how interviews went in the bubble, too. I think for a young team like the Wizards that sent so many of their developing young players, it was also it's really hard to be charismatic and to like give good quotes and tell good anecdotes over zoom. I just, I found the zoom interviews, especially in the bubble, just so like, Oh man, these poor, like 20 year old kids who are having to talk to reporters that they have, they, you know, they can hear my voice. They might not be seeing my face. Like that's just so awkward. Um, it's a drag so, yeah. It's, it sucks forever. I don't think anybody likes it, but um, so yes, I'm very much looking forward to going and, and showing, you know, these people that I'm a real human being and not just face on a computer and hopefully working from there. But yeah, I, I miss, I never thought I would say I miss going to daily practice. Like <laughs> it's such a hassle when you take it for granted, but I totally miss it now. Uh, to your point about the bubble, we had Troy on like right in the middle of the bubble process. And mm-hmm. Troy's like a, a bright, you know, upbeat oh kid. Oh my gosh. And the he fr- gets it too. He like yeah. does video blogs and everything like this. He's he's savvy and well-polished, but for the first five minutes, he was, he was definitely tight. And I think it was yeah. some amount of just already like Zoom call fatigue and things yeah. like that. And once he loosened up a little bit, it was a great interview. He's a nice kid. And I think that that came across. But to your point, when you, you see him, you know, post game, it's, you know, one or two of two questions that you see the answers to. I don't think people get a sense for what they're like as people. No, not at all. And that's especially, especially during a season like this for the Wizards, where it's, you know, it's not coming every night with games. Like, I think people miss that. Like, the, the good stories are outside of the games then usually. And so we're missing out on that for sure. Is this a playoff team? Should this be a playoff team? <laughs> um, they certainly want to be a playoff team, um, although sometimes they don't look like they want to be a playoff team. Um, it, should they be a playoff team? Yes. Listen, it's you got to be, what is it, the 10th seed in the Eastern Conference to make the play-in tournament. For a team that has Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook on it, yes, that should be a playoff team kind of full stop. Um, is this a playoff team? 50% of the time, they don't really look like it. You know, they're just kind of below that that 10th seed cutoff, um, which is why I think, you know, I don't think we should expect really headline bangers of the trade deadline from anybody. I think all the big trades are already made this this season and mostly by the Brooklyn Nets. Um, but I do think that um, even though they don't have a ton of cap space, they should remain active at the trade deadline if they can um, reinforce the rebounding, maybe get a veteran in there kind of, search for some bolstering of the roster that way. Um, because I do think that there's an organizational mandate still that like, yeah, we are still in playoff conversation. We want to be, we've shown we can be. So why, you know, why wouldn't we be? If they, if they hadn't had that stretch in the West coast where it's like, Oh, you figured some things out. You guys can play defense. You do have chemistry. I think it would be a different conversation, but since they've shown they can be competitive with really good teams, yeah, I think I, I don't see why they wouldn't be going for the playoffs, honestly, right now. I think what you said about the trade uh, trade deadline is especially interesting because just with COVID and, and the money's weird this year and now 10 yeah. teams make it, there are probably a lot less teams that are willing to be sellers. And if they are, the price to get people from them is probably higher. And that, that limits what the Wizards could do realistically. Yeah, it, it's the money part does make it interesting where I think teams are much more aware of their bottom line this year. Um, I think it's really interesting that we're seeing kind of many more teams working things out kind of in advance, you know, whether that's the Spurs with Aldridge or um, 
Andre Drummond or Blake Griffin or whatever. Like there, there's just seems to be much more like, okay, you guys will take care of us and we'll take, you know, much more um, cooperation, I should say, um, amongst the league. So I'm interested to see how much is kind of going to eke out before the trade deadline, even like we've been, you know, thinking about this for a while. But I, I think because of the play in tournament, I think there was a theory early on in the season that because of the money and because of the weird season it was going to be a quiet trade deadline but I think the play-in tournament actually okay if you're going to make the playoffs then you got to run and gun and make the playoffs so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a few not necessarily cautious but money conscious mm-hmm. trades um that work out for teams that that kind of aren't these blockbuster deals but uh, it's just it's weird all around <laughs> it's weird all around you know, you hear a couple names from Wizards fans like, hey, maybe Otto Porter gets bought out. Do we see a potential auto uh, auto reunion? Um, can we see a third Trevor Ariza trade? Those are the types of names I think that are are like, unfortunately, about, you know, the most the Wizards could afford to make a play for. Anybody you think they're going to keep their eye on specifically or position, wing, center, any of that stuff? Can you, okay, first of all, can you imagine if they brought out a part of that? It would break a lot of brains around here. It would break my brain. It would break my brain, certainly, especially seeing how he's he's uh, played in Chicago lately, for yeah. sure. But um, um, I, I actually that was on my list of things to do this morning. But I am kind of going to focus in on on big men and experienced big men first, who maybe are affordable. I thought someone along the lines of a Robin Lopez was actually a good pick up a smart pickup at the beginning of this season. Just veteran guy, one year deal, didn't break the bank or anything like that. Um, something like that would be good. I think, I think you got to look at the front court first and foremost, um, for sure. Everybody's kind of saturated with guards right now. So it'll be interesting to see who's, um, who they've kind of zeroed in on for sure. What are you looking for at the trade deadline? You know, that's a very good question. Uh, so I, I, I do some uh, blogging for Bullets Forever, and, and this yeah. week just did a here are the wings that might be sort of available guys, mm-hmm. um, like a Jeremy Lamb sort of oh, falling okay. out of the rotation in, uh, in Indiana, Tony mm-hmm. Snell, somebody like that, that mm-hmm. I think they could use some more three-point shooting more than anything. That, that's yeah. been painful <laughs> to watch. The stat I saw was crazy. I want to see, say Snell had made like 31 of his last 52 threes he'd taken. Wow. Um, so from like a six six hmm. guy, you know, maybe that's a guy that, that they could get some minutes from. Okay. Just that like you can't that. get consistent minutes from from Brown or Bonga or or even Denny at this point. Uh, I, I think that's probably a reasonable place to to look for a little help. Like you said, the the center position makes a lot of sense too. But at least they do have that veteran presence in Robin. You don't really have that uh, at the three. Do. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You don't have it at three and the three point, the three point shooting is something I always, I've done this like the last three times I've been on a podcast where I'm just like their defense, their rebounding is bad. I'm like three point shooting also very bad. Um, they should, that was a huge, huge part of this, their successful play on Saturday against Milwaukee too, was mm-hmm. the threes were finally falling. I think they only shot 39%, but I think they made, I want to say like 11 threes or something like that. And it was because you could see it was really not, being so hesitant beyond mm-hmm. where he just actually finally it's like every other game I feel like he catches a really nice pass and I'm like okay go shoot shoot and he like takes that one step in I'm like oh my god really when he's playing aggressive like that he can he can be really good and that really helps their three-point shooting you know the Bucks are always going to give up more threes than your average team but I like that as well I like that as, as some, something to look at coming up with the trade deadline too for sure NBA defenses are so quick to actually rotate and, and you can't afford to be hesitant uh, even for yeah. a split second. And, and I think that's maybe been a point of frustration between him and, and Brad and, and Russ, because you kind of see them encouraging him to just shoot it and we'll live. They'll give the him the ball every time they'll give him the ball. And they, yeah, they've been very clear as you tell Rui to shoot, but I like that um, as well, because if you do get a veteran guy on there on the wing, there's going to be naturally, I think, less hesitation when you trust their three a little bit more for sure. That's a smart, smart look. Anybody on this team that's been just like a pleasant surprise to you that maybe you didn't expect a ton from before the year, but you've thought, hey, this guy, pretty darn good. I I love the Garrison Matthews situation, right? A two-way really, it just from from the pure point of his story is excellent. You know, went to Lipscomb's two-way player. He's such a, it's so clear now that he's such a Scott Brooks guy. Mm-hmm. Like Scott Brooks loves just like the toughness, you know, he. He does things the right way. He comes in whenever he talks to us afterwards in a Zoom. He's just like, he like feels the losses 
so deeply. Like he's, he's clearly an emotional guy and wants to be really good. Um, so Garrison Matthews, I think, surprised probably everybody. Um, Davis has been kind of the surprise in the opposite way. And I, I do talk a lot about that, too. I'm really interested to talk to Davis when this season is kind of all said and done and he's able to reflect on what a funky year and off season this was for him as well. Um, yeah, Neto has been a great surprise. Uh, his legs are like always moving. <laughs> um, but I think Garrison takes the cake for me as, as a really good, he's a fun addition to this team for sure. You hear a lot about the tough contracts for the Wizards. Um, you know, Russell Westbrook, one of the, I don't know, he's playing better, but it's still one of the, the tougher contracts to deal with in the league. But they also have two of the guys that probably get the most bang for their buck from in, in Neto and Matthews, considering how much they rely on those guys and how little they pay them. So that's at least cool. Uh, to your point, I think all fans would love if you could uh, pull Davis aside at the end of the year and and like really get into, hey, what actually happened here? Because there's got to be more to it than just conditioning, I would think. That's that's also what I'm thinking. Um, I just like want to yeah have like a an hour long chat with Davis over what your Latvian summer was like and <laughs> what happened there. And it sounds like it sounds like he had it pretty tough with um he was one of the players who was in the safety and protocol the coronavirus protocol whatever in January. Um, sounds like he's got some horror stories from that too. But yeah, um, it'll be Davis Bertans will be one of weirdly, which was something I was never expecting to say, one of the guys to see what happens with next year, most of all. You think he's going to come in and just do what he does, but mm-hmm. he's been an interesting case for sure. They could use him as their third best player. They could absolutely use Davis. Yeah, it seems a lot better. That's the answer to that question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't be the Wizards if there wasn't some sort of situation like that, though. Uh, <laughs> Ava, before we no, let you go, well. anything that, that you do have coming up that, that you know, that you're working on that, that fans can uh, expect to see? Um, trade deadline stuff is, is always coming down the pipes. Um, I think it's the time of year when we're all calling like nine agents a day and then making sure all that reporting is good. So hopefully I'll have something um, interesting on that. And then I'm, I am starting to think about as this season kind of rolls along, I'm really interested to find out what it's going to be like for playoff coverage for us. If the league's going to open anything up, I'm honestly not optimistic, but I feel like it will be different, especially as more, arenas start opening up and fans and we had um a story in the paper it went up on the line yesterday so i think it should be in the paper today but um our caps reporter actually reported that cap one arena has submitted a, a plan another plan to the city to get fans back into the arena they're waiting for a decision on that but um it'll be really interesting to see kind of what the wizards do there in the second half of the season from the protocol standpoint for sure it like covering a game without fans from from a skybox there it's really weird matt okay so it's a it, the wizards have actually it's a fantastic setup i don't know if you've had anybody on who's going into home games but they gave us all so they repurposed all the fancy suites like the, the kind of middle level of the arena they, they gave each reporter their own suite a couple people are sharing i think but like i have my own suite and my photographer has a different suite it's like that so we get our we get our media meal in there usually instead of going into the collective media room and going to the buffet it's a great view but it's really weird because there are no fans but everything else is normal there are still the in-game hosts at the arena saying like here are your wizards and like doing the chatter throughout the whole game and sometimes it's just like like i'm i'm extremely glad that monumental is employing all these people but i also want to be like who are you talking to are they still doing they'll find the gecko uh yes Turtle shell, they're still doing all of the in-game stuff because I believe you can you can actually watch online. You can like choose the virtual game day experience. I would love to know who's doing that, honestly. But um the hosts are still there introducing everybody. They still have all the bits where they're throwing Denny up on the screen. I think one on Valentine's Day was like, What's your ideal date? And I was just like, Oh my god, <laughs> like what are we doing here? They, they still have all of the the radio announcers, they still play the anthem, everything is the same except for there's no fans and it's really weird sometimes. Uh, do you expect reporters to get back in the locker room at some point? And I know we talked about the value of some face-to-face time, but do you even want to be back in the locker room specifically? I definitely want to be back in the locker room specifically. I don't think I want to be back in the locker room anytime soon. And I, I would be shocked if that happened at all this season and maybe even early next season. I think it kind of, I, I'm, I'd be interested to know what the league is looking at um, from that standpoint, whether it's percent of players vaccinated, percent of reporters vaccinated, percent of the general population, COVID numbers. I would love to know how they're kind of measuring that. 
Um, I don't, I don't think it's happening this season. I can't wait until it does happen. It's, it's the number one. I mean, like, how do you tell him the mood after the two, you know, every single time on the, on the zoom, we're like, Hey, so uh, what's going on in the locker room? And the answer more often than not is like, well, I'm not going to tell you, but broadly it was good. And you're like, okay, that's so much less valuable than me going in there, seeing who has their back to reporters and doesn't want to talk or who left early. Like, yeah, I miss all of those little things for sure. I think the real for now is just how much time Russell Westbrook spends on his phone while talking to media. If he's yes. if he's scrolling through Instagram, I think it was probably a bad night. Exactly. How long how long we're waiting for Brooks? One, because sometimes it gets to like ten minutes, and we're like, so uh, you guys had a chat tonight, <laughs> and uh, definitely Russ is a good good barometer too. That's a good job. Uh, Ava, thank you so much for the time. You do a wonderful job covering the team. We really appreciate it. We look for more of those sort of longer form stories from in some features. So. Uh, you hopefully you can fit them in a little bit there. Uh, give us a plug for the Washington Post here real quick. Oh, well, what do we say? What's our thing? If you don't get it, you don't get it. That might be old. I don't know. I grew up around here. So that's like yep. the one that's implanted Same. in my brain. But go look. We have a lot of trade deadline, a lot of fun NBA stuff coming up. If you don't get it, you don't get it. It was going to be the title we were going to have for this episode. Just <laughs> that's awesome. I'll take it. I accept. Cool. Uh, thank you very much for the time. Good luck. Stay safe. All that good stuff. Thanks so much, Matt. You too. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.